Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 22.1 Beyond the 21 Well, we finished the list. The 21 wonders of the ancient world. 21 of the most magnificent structures history has ever seen. I hope that, over the course of the past year or so that we have taken a look at the wonders, that you have a new appreciation for the ancient world. These people were able to accomplish so much more than even we can understand today. And even though most of the wonders are not still standing, they still capture our imaginations and enchant us. But even though this list is substantially bigger than the original list of only seven wonders of the ancient world, the ancient world itself is not limited to just these 21 magnificent structures. There are a number of others that didn't make it onto the list, and go beyond the 21. I thought about just ending the show last week with the final wonder, but that would have been a disservice to the ancient world as a whole. So I wanted to do one more episode and list the honorable mentions to this show, and hopefully further cement that feeling of awe and wonder whenever we talk about the ancient world. The first of the honorable mentions is Stonehenge. One of the most popular of ancient monuments, Stonehenge is a monumental megalithic stone structure in northern England that has baffled archaeologists, scientists, and religious circles alike for millennium. The massive stone circle is made up of about 100 sandstone and bluestone blocks weighing up to 25 tons apiece. The stones are arranged in a circular formation, with the largest sandstone blocks measuring 4 meters or 13 feet tall and 2.1 meters or 7 feet wide, anchoring the base of the structure. What makes Stonehenge so remarkable is that these stones stand upright, with stones of similar size placed on top of them horizontally. Stonehenge is believed to have been a pagan worship site, and this makes the most sense. It was possibly an incredibly sacred place where the peoples of northern Britannia would hold their religious festivals, sacrifices, and commune with the gods. Archaeologists believe that it was built sometime between 3000 and 2000 BC. If this is correct, it is one of the biggest structures other than the pyramids at its time. Due to the size of the stones and lack of a quarry in the immediate area, it is believed that Stonehenge took an incredibly long time to build. But this isn't necessarily true. Perhaps they did something similar to the Egyptians. When they built the Great Pyramids, the Egyptians would float stones down the Nile to the Giza Plateau from their quarries in southern Egypt. These stones would be used in the construction. It's quite possible that the Britons did something similar. It's even possible that they used the sea as their gateway to bring the stones to the site. Either way, Stonehenge continues to baffle academic, religious, and scientific communities everywhere. 
Stonehenge was originally on the list of 21 wonders, but there is so little that we know about the history of this wonder that I decided to take it off. We know next to nothing about it. All we can do is make educated guesses and assumptions. The Hanging Gardens is a wonder that is very similar. We know next to nothing about it, but at least the Hanging Gardens was on the original list of seven wonders. At least Stonehenge has the fact that it's still standing in its favor. At least we know what it looks like. And if we knew anything about the history of the wonder, how it was built or anything at all, Stonehenge would be on the list. Alas, its history, usage, and construction are a complete mystery to us, and will probably remain so forever. It is one of the great mysteries of the ancient world, never to be solved. The next honorary wonder of the ancient world is the Circus Maximus. The great oval track in Rome was one of the greatest sports arenas in the world. Only Olympia, the home of the Olympic Games, was a larger and more popular sport house in the ancient world. The Circus Maximus was originally built for the kings of ancient Rome and hosted magnificent chariot races. The Circus Maximus is a massive elongated oval track. It measured 621 meters or 2,037 feet long and 118 meters or 387 feet wide. At its height, it held up to 150,000 spectators. This is an absolutely massive number. For comparison, I was recently at a soccer or football game here in the States, and it was one of the largest crowds ever in the history of soccer in this country. There were just under 75,000 people in attendance, and that was a lot. But the Circus Maximus held twice that number. These large crowds were even despite the fact that the ancient world had a substantially less population than the world does today. Even the Roman Colosseum, one of the wonders of the ancient world, only held about 65,000 people. I say only 65,000 like that's a small number. But it is quite possible that the largest crowd to ever witness a sporting event gathered not in the Colosseum or any of the impressive stadiums that we have in the world today, or even Olympia, but was housed in the Circus Maximus. Despite the fact that it was built for the Roman kings of old, both the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire continued to use the Circus Maximus for races, festivals, hunts, games, and religious events. Numerous Roman emperors restored the circus during their reign. Races continued to be held there pretty much throughout the entirety of the Roman Empire, with the last known races taking place in 549 AD. The Circus Maximus was such a popular place in Rome that the Romans used it as a model to build other circuses in cities throughout the empire. None as big or as grand, but still a similar design. Despite all these circuses and coliseums throughout the Roman Empire, the massive need for entertainment and bloodshed could not be sedated, even by these massive, impressive sport complexes. Now you might be wondering, if it held more spectators and was used for many of the same things, 
Why is the Circus Maximus not on the list of 21 wonders of the ancient world, but the Flavian Amphitheater, or the Colosseum, is? As I mentioned when we talked about the Colosseum a few weeks ago, the Colosseum was a more impressive architectural structure, despite not being able to hold as many people. It had the elaborate floor, traps built into the walls, and the grandstand, all impressive engineering feats. But even more so is the sordid history of the Colosseum. I have no doubt that men were killed during the chariot races at the Circus Maximus, and being a winner there would immediately make you a superstar in the city. But the bloodshed and the impact was nowhere near the scale that it was in the Colosseum. And as morbid as this sounds, that's ultimately why I chose the Colosseum over the Circus Maximus. But the crowds that gathered at the track were certainly some of the largest ever to gather in history. The next honorable mention is another Roman wonder, Hadrian's Wall. Hadrian was one of the five good emperors of Rome, and he immediately followed the reign of Trajan. We talked about Trajan when we discussed the fourth wonder of the ancient world, Trajan's Bridge. Trajan's Bridge was a forward-thinking, conquering wonder. Hadrian's Wall, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. Trajan was the last of the conquering emperors. He pushed the borders of the Roman Empire to their greatest extent. Hadrian, by contrast, his successor, thought that the Roman Empire was already big enough and began to fortify the borders in an attempt to further solidify the empire. His greatest project was his wall in northern Britannia to protect the Roman south of the island from the Picts of Scotland in the north. He began building the wall in 122 AD and built a wall across the entire island of Britannia, running from the wall's end of the River Tyne in the east to the Bowness on Salway in the west, the wall literally stretched from one side of the island to the other. Hadrian's Wall stretches for about 117.5 kilometers, or 73 miles, across northern Britannia. This wall not only acted as a defensive border, but also as a customs point for products coming down out of Scotland, or even as far as Scandinavia. Made from Roman concrete and stone, the wall is not necessarily the prettiest to look at, but it certainly did its job. Despite the impressiveness of the wall, it never served as a border between Anglo-Saxon Britain and Scotland. Hadrian's Wall was entirely in the borders of the British kingdoms. What makes the wall so impressive is that unlike the Great Wall of China, it runs just about east to west. It doesn't circle around or go around different geographical features. It pretty much is a straight line. And the British countryside is not flat like the American Midwest. So the fact that it virtually runs straight is really impressive. As impressive as the wall is though, it pales in comparison to some of the other defensive wonders on this list. The Great Wall of China and Julius Caesar's walls around Elysia come to mind. Either way, it was still an incredible feat of engineering. So don't get me wrong here, Hadrian's Wall is very impressive. And as a testament to that, a majority of it still stands to this day. 
This just shows the magnitude of the construction projects of the ancient world. Something like Hadrian's Wall can pale in comparison to others. The next of the honorable mentions is one that might not be that familiar to you, but was one of the greatest defensive structures of all time. It took a combination of one of the largest projectile launchers ever, as well as one of the boldest, craziest military moves ever, to finally breach it. This wonder is the Theodosian Walls, or more commonly known as the Walls of Constantinople. Honestly, the only reason that these walls are not on the original list is that I thought they were built too late. I thought they were built at a later time past my end date for the end of the ancient world. But this is not so. So I'm going to give it a little more attention here than I am the rest of the honorable mentions. Construction of the Theodosian walls began under the reign of Eastern Roman Emperor Theodosius II who reigned in Constantinople from 408 to 450 AD. The walls were so impressive that the city of Constantinople would withstand numerous sieges throughout its impressive thousand-year history. The walls were the design of the Praetorian Prefect of the East, a man named Anthemius. Constantinople was growing at an incredible rate and quickly outgrew its original walls. So Anthemius came up with a brilliant idea to not only extend its defensive barriers, but also allow plenty of room for growth. What made the design of the Theodosian Walls so formidable was that it was actually three different sets of defensive barriers, with each set being taller, thicker, and bigger than the one in front of it. The innermost wall was the biggest and the strongest. Standing at just about 11 meters or 36 feet tall, and just about 5 meters or 16 feet thick. The walls were composed of tightly packed rubble in the middle, with white limestone blocks on the outside, holding the whole thing together. This made for an incredibly sturdy structure, but also one which saved on materials. It was also easy to repair the walls. If there was a weak spot, the Byzantines could just pull a few of the limestone blocks from above the weak area, dump in some more rubble, and put the stones back in place. There were also enormous guard towers which stood watch over the massive three-mile-long inner wall. These towers stood 18 meters or 60 feet tall and gave the guards inside a dominating view over the city itself, the peninsula, the surrounding countryside, and the surrounding waters. Directly in front of this inner wall was a 15-meter or 50-foot terrace. In front of that terrace was a second wall. This wall was not as big as the first one, but it was still impressive. It stood about 8 meters or 26 feet tall and had easily manned ramparts. This was because the terrace which stood behind it came up to its height. This terrace made reinforcing the second wall incredibly easy while still maintaining the integrity of the first wall. It also allowed the Byzantines to have an overlap of fire, catapult balls, or later cannons and firearms to repel invaders. In front of this second wall there was another terrace, 
which connected to a third short wall. This third short wall was the outmost wall of the city. This layering of walls and terraces made reinforcement easy while making it almost impossible for the invaders to reach and breach the next set of walls. Now this third wall might seem like it's not going to do much good, or even if it was built kind of as a joke. And you're right, it was too short to impel any invaders on the ground. That is, unless there was a large moat in front of it filled with water. Which there was. The moat was 18 meters or 60 feet across, and about 6 meters or 20 feet deep. Several bridges traversed the moat and led to gates. But these bridges and gates would be booby-trapped or more heavily defended than the rest of the wall, if an invading army even got that far. In the case of a serious invasion or siege as well, the bridges could be destroyed in an attempt to make taking the city even harder. These combined barriers created almost 61 meters or 200 feet of fortification that any besieging army had to cross. And they couldn't cross it all at once. It had to be one at a time. And it's not like invading by sea was an easier option. Massive walls protected the city from invasion from the sea. And stretching across the Golden Horn, the passage of water between the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea, that went right through the heart of the city, was guarded by a spiked iron chain. This chain stretched from one side of the land to the other, and would stop any ship, no matter how big, in its tracks. The sailors would be thrown helplessly into the water, where Byzantine ships, carrying Greek fire, would be waiting for them. Needless to say, the Theodosian walls were quite effective. As the Christian and Muslim worlds rose to dominate the Near East, Constantinople would become besieged numerous times. But despite all the attempts to take the city, the Theodosian walls held off attack after attack. The Islamic Caliphates, the Turks, the Bulgars, the Rus, and the Ottomans all attempted to take the city only to be repelled by these magnificent walls. It wouldn't be until 1453 that Constantinople and the Theodosian walls would fall. Ottoman Sultan Mehmed II came up with an ingenious plan to get around the Theodosian walls. The first part of this plan involved heavy cannon fire, and he was aided by arguably the biggest projectile launcher ever in history. Named the Basilica, it was a cannon that was 27 feet or 8.2 meters long and able to hurl a 600 pound or 272 kilogram stone ball over a mile. The noise it made must have been deafening. But it wasn't that effective. The cannonballs were in short supply and it took forever to reload. The cannon also cracked almost instantly after the first fire. But the fire from the Basilica and the other numerous cannon that the Ottomans had were merely a distraction. They kept the Byzantine guards occupied while his real plan unfolded. Sultan Mehmed II ordered that his soldiers haul their ships over the land to get around the chain of the Golden Horn 
and drop his ships on the Black Sea side of the city, where no seawall was protecting. I can't imagine the look on the Byzantines' faces when they woke up that fateful morning and saw the Ottoman ships inside the Golden Horn, with the chain still intact. I imagined a great deal of confusion and outrage was felt, as I'm sure they felt someone had betrayed them and let loose the chain to allow the ships to cross. But it wasn't anything of the sort. Instead, it was one of the boldest, craziest, impressive military moves ever in history. I know we have spent more time here than we have on any of the other honorable mentions, but I wanted to do the Theodosian Walls justice, as it was my fault that I didn't put them on the original list. With that said, we can move on to the next honorable mention. This honorable mention was in the other great American city, the Great Plaza of Tikal. Tikal is a monumental city located in modern-day Guatemala and was one of the capitals of the Mayan Empire. The city sported massive temples, palaces, ball courts, and other monuments. Deep in the heart of the jungle, Tikal was such a powerful Mayan city that it dominated much of Central America, even up into Mexico. It had dealings with that other great American city, Teotihuacan. The archaeological evidence shows that the construction of the city of Tikal began sometime during the 4th century BC. But it would grow to become a powerhouse of the New World from about 200 AD to 900 AD. During that time, the population of the city rose to levels that Europe wouldn't reach for centuries. There were as many as 90,000 people who lived in the city. While that number is probably a little high, even half of that would have been really impressive. It's crazy that here in America, we don't think much of any of the ancient American civilizations. At least, it's not taught that way in history class. And yet, here they were, hiding in plain sight. In fact, at their height, Tikal and Teotihuacan could very well have been two of the largest cities in the world at the time. The Grand Plaza of Tikal consisted of a massive temple rising 47 meters or 154 feet off the jungle floor. There was also another temple which has partially been destroyed, so we do not know its full height. There was also the Ball Court. This would have been the religious center of the city as ball games often coincided with religious festivals, sacrifices, and other worship practices. But the reason that I left the Grand Plaza of Tikal off the list is that we simply don't understand enough about Mayan culture. This doesn't mean that the Grand Plaza or the city itself were not impressive. It's just that we understand so little about Mayan written language, worship practices, culture, and what happened to the people that I decided not to put the Grand Plaza on this list. There are inscriptions all over the Grand Plaza, and we have no idea what they say. They must be important, as they are on the three most important buildings in the city. But, with no idea what they say, I couldn't put them on the list. Mayan culture 
is too much of an unknown. The next honorable mention is the Royal Library of Ashurbanipal. The Royal Library was the collection of more than 30,000 clay tablets gathered by King Ashurbanipal of Assyria in the 7th century BC. This was really the first collection of information in history that we know of. More than four centuries before Alexander the Great began his campaign of knowledge, Ashurbanipal had given him a head start. He housed these tablets in many rooms of his palace, and he kept having to build more to accommodate the increase of tablets. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with what a clay tablet looked like in the ancient world. They were thick, heavy, large, and made of clay. In essence, it would be like having to house 30,000 Webster's Dictionaries, the actual paper copies. That's about the size of one clay tablet would be one of the dictionaries. That's a lot of space needed. But what made his collection famous was a tablet that is known as the Epic of Gilgamesh. The Epic of Gilgamesh is viewed as one of the oldest texts in history and gives us incredible insight into life in the ancient Near East. It truly is a fascinating artifact. But the reason the Royal Library of Ashurbanipal did not make the list is I already knew I was going to have the Library of Alexandria on it, and I didn't really want two libraries on this list. Both are impressive, and both contained unique information about the ancient world, no doubt lost to us today. But the Library of Alexandria had a greater impact on the world as a whole. In fact, it's quite possible that Alexander and his army on their way through the Persian Empire, came to be in possession of a number of the tablets from the Royal Library, and had them copied onto paper at the Library of Alexandria for easier transportation and storage. It's a possibility like this, and the impact that the Library of Alexandria had on the known world, are the reasons why I left the Royal Library of Ashurbanipal off this list. The final honorable mention is the one that I had the hardest time leaving off the list. In fact, when I was comprising the list, it was originally on it. But as I kept thinking and composing the list, I chose not to have it on for one reason or another. But we'll get to that here in just a moment. The final honorable mention is the Acropolis above Athens. The Acropolis was the religious center of Athens and housed up to 21 buildings, most famously the Parthenon. This massive temple to the goddess Athena, the Parthenon in the Acropolis is one of the most famous and well-known sites in the ancient world. It's Greek, so of course they made it from marble. But hauling marble bricks up the incredibly steep sides of the Acropolis would have been incredibly difficult. So the Greeks developed a genius way to move fresh bricks up to the top and rubble down. They developed a simple pulley system with a cart on one side and a flat piece with wheels under it on the other. The cart would be at the top with the flat piece at the bottom. The Greeks would then load the fresh block onto the flat piece. Once this was done, they would fill the cart at the top with rubble until the cart became heavier than the block of marble. Then, 
they let the pulley system and gravity do the work for them. When the fresh block reached the top and the marble at the bottom, both were unloaded and the system would start again. The flat piece was heavier than the cart, so it would slowly come back to the bottom. The Greeks could then move a large number of marble blocks to the top of the Acropolis in a relatively short amount of time. But the reason that I left the Acropolis off the list was ultimately because of the statue of Zeus. The designer of both the statue of Zeus and the statue of Athena were the same guy. And both statues were made from ivory and gold. But it was the statue of Zeus that had the greater impact on the world around it as a whole. Plus, it was on the original list of seven wonders of the ancient world. It's because of this that I chose to leave the Acropolis off the list. Did I make the wrong choice? Possibly. But I made the choice, and I'm sticking by it. That's the beauty of the ancient world. It's not limited to anything but our understanding. So those are the honorable mentions to the show. The ancient world is so much more impressive than just the 21 wonders that made it onto this list. And we can take multiple lifetimes to study them and still come up far short. The wonders of the ancient world have fascinated us for centuries and will continue to baffle and fascinate us for centuries to come. I can't believe the show is over. It seems like just yesterday that I decided to start this show. And now, here we are, wrapping it up. I want to thank each and every one of you who has listened to this show faithfully for the past year or so. I hope you guys learned something about the ancient world. I know I did. I greatly enjoyed the research that I have put into this show, and it honestly feels like a part of me is ending. I have loved doing this, and hopefully once life settles down for me, I'll find another topic to do a podcast on. But until then, I hope your learning doesn't stop with me. Go find another podcast, book, or even TV show to continue learning about the marvels of the ancient world. They deserve our appreciation, attention, and admiration. So now to close the show, The 21 Wonders of the Ancient World. Abu Simbel, The Ishtar Gate, The Colossus of Rhodes, Trajan's Bridge, The Great Pyramid of Giza, The Terracotta Army, Teotihuacan, Khan, The Pharos of Alexandria, King Solomon's Temple to Jehovah, the Mausoleum of Mausolos at Halicarnassus, the Great Library, Julius Caesar's Walls around Elysia, the Olmec Heads, the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus, the Great Ziggurat of Ur, the Lion Rock or Sigaria, the Great Wall of China, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Colosseum of Rome, the statue of Zeus, and last but certainly not least, Petra. Petra.